Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Well, we finally got a cloudy day. You know, I started, uh-huh. a, lot of, I started a lot of seeds, and I just I don't like to transplant on days when it's 85 degrees and the sun is shining and it's drying. Yeah. 
right? Because it's not going to be good for those little baby seedlings. No, so, no, surprise us. Right, and we've had all this really hot, dry weather, hot, dry weather, and I'm like looking at the seedlings are getting big, you know, and you don't want them to get too big. You want to just kind of start them off and then bump them up to the next size pot because they're at least they're outside, so they weren't getting leggy. But it's like, oh, and finally today was the day the tomatoes got planted out, the squashes got planted out. Oh yes, yes, yes! <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Oh my gosh, did you get rain or just clouds? Uh, I wouldn't actually call it rain. It's misty. Oh, that would be even welcome here. It has been bone dry, just so, so dry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, you know, just what I'm talking about, that you don't want to work in your in your garden, especially with baby plants in that kind of weather. Yeah, I have some little seedling transplants that are sitting in the little shaded area outside as well, and We've been watering a lot in certain areas because we planted trees in the spring. So, um, Oh, you did. I remember. Oh, my gosh. Yes, they really need water. Yeah. Mm-hmm, <sighs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, and then with mm-hmm. the trees and the smoke from the Canada fires, it's just been, it's been hot. Oh, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a fire close enough to you. You're getting smoke from it? It's in Alberta, Canada, but it's our, <gasps> we had, like, on the scale, I thought that only went to 100. We were 124 today. But you can't really smell smoke, but the air is so hazy and the fine particulate matter, you can just, it's just not nice out there right now. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. Is, yeah. What was 124? On that air quality index. Like oh, my gosh. On, phone app. Yeah, it was like red, orange, and the number was 124 when we got our hay delivery this afternoon. Um, And yeah, I was like, whoa, this is crazy weather. Because every day they say it's going to get a little better, but then it doesn't rain. So the heat has dissipated a little bit. We were only in the 70s today, and there was some breeze, but over the weekend it was 80s and dry, and just the dryness has taken over. A lot of people's pastures are browning up they're keeping their horses like into the tighter parts of their areas so that they're not trampling the grass and it's really dry here Mm, yeah the haying has already started here like three weeks early the what has haying the haying oh yeah interesting yeah so the hay that you just got delivered was that new hay was that hay that was just made it was made in the spring. It was the last of his spring hay. So they haven't done second cutting yet here because it's been so dry. Everybody, right. if you want hay, you have to find somebody with decent hay from the first cut in the spring. And wow. I didn't need hay in the as I overplenished in the winter. So I thought my friend's field was going to get bailed in the spring, and he bailed and didn't bail the field. And so, ah. I, yeah. I got the last of this gentleman's hay. They were amazing. It was a brother and sister duo. They had to be over 70. They muscled that hay from their flatbed truck and hay trail <laughs> into our hayloft. It was amazing. Just That's so great beautiful. to see, isn't it? Oh, it's so good. And it makes you go, yes, I'm in the right place. I'm going to be an active older person because I'm doing, you know, 
this kind of physical labor? Yeah, I said something to him about it, and he said, you know, well, it's not that I necessarily like doing it, but if I don't do it, then I wouldn't have the choice to do it. And after um, I went inside, he said, my husband said something to him, and he said, you know, the happiest day of my life is when I got to quit my day, day job and do this full time. And <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I had been in his family for 80 years, so I was so glad my husband got to hear that. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And, yeah. And he bails the hay. As homesteaders, we need bailed hay. We don't want those huge rolls. No, those are so big. It would take up like a whole stall of my barn and half the aisle. <sighs> and it would be just so difficult for us to work with. Yeah, that's like they, the goats would just have to go in there and eat off of it as a round or something, like a buffet. I, I mean, I can't even imagine working with that big round bale of hay. I think they do have a feeder that the bale goes in and that the cows do just eat right off the round bale. Oh, well, there you go. So, okay, somewhere I, I made sense of the roundness of it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, because it certainly doesn't, to me, just like to you, it doesn't look like human hands can get in there and make any sense mm-hmm. of it like my hands can with a bale. Right. They're in slices or flakes, and you just, if it's bailed nicely, or you know, when it's put together real nice, they just flake right off in serving sizes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. For those of you who aren't familiar with what Sarah and Susan are talking about here, the think of a farmer as going out, and mowing a field. So he's, it's kind of like mowing your lawn, right? You just go along and you cut it, but it's cut when the grass is tall and has seeds. So it falls down and you mow the field. And then you put something, a different follower on your tractor, and it mounds up the hay into what in my area is called windrows. And that's done immediately. And the hay then cures in the windrows. And so it goes through the field and it makes these rows. And then after it's dried and cured, then the baler comes along. And the baler basically folds up the grasses from the windrow. Because the grass is all laying orderly, right? Because it was mowed down, just like your lawn does. And those folded pieces are then pulled together in a bale and tied together. And when you cut the string of the bale, it kind of goes boing. And mm-hmm. it better go like, boing. Right? It gets Otherwise like another. You bailed it loose. <laughs> right. Another 20% bigger. And then yeah. your human hands can take off, as Sarah Ellen said, the word we use is a flake. It's not like a little flake. We're talking about usually folded up grass, the end size of the bale, and about three to four inches thick is a flake. Mm-hmm. Is that what your yep. flake looks like? It sure is. It sure is. <laughs> well, and depending on the weather and so on, like right now, each goat gets about maybe a third of a flake when they go in. 
Mm-hmm. And because the grass is folded, I can pull it apart and do that. Yeah. They're so Whereas it looks so... to me like when they're ba- putting together the round bales, they just roll it up like a roll of twine. I don't know. Right. That's what I was thinking. If you're lucky, twine, if you're not lucky, like a kite string in a knot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Good for big animals. We keep yeah, small animals. Right. We need bales. And the reason we're talking about this is that m- more and more farmers are being pushed to use the round bales. Oh, and interesting. I, and I, I use that verb because I've talked to them, and they, they, prefer, they prefer the bales rather than the round ones because just like you and I, they can move them. They can handle them. They can put them here and put them there, and you can't with a round bale. You have to have a machine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And people here are doing the bigger rectangles, too, that are just too big. I, I, I they're not as big as the round oh, bales. Oh, I've seen some of those, like, uh, like four times the size of a bale. Mm-hmm. Just too much. Not, I can't get in that into the loft. There's no way. Well, a bale is already, what, 60, 65 pounds. It's, it's a serious amount it's, to pick up, especially when we're talking how many bales of hay did you get? Today we only got 33 because that was the last of it. Okay, but so let's... So 30 times 60 is three-quarters of a ton. Wow, that's a good workout. <sighs> right. <laughs> it's a right. You're really moving some weight when you're – and each bale is handled numerous times, right? It has to come yep. out of the hayloft and get thrown either directly into the truck in the best situation or into some secondary area and then into the truck. And then from the truck, I don't know about your barn, can you just take it right off the truck and stack it, or do you have a secondary area? Yes, we can. Although I was asking for, like, protection all over the place because they asked me for a piece of plywood, and then they were balancing on the baled hay. And I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to envision anything that could possibly go wrong here because if it did, it would be horrible. But they were balancers, and they managed to shift their weight and not fall off the back of the trailer as they threw the bale to my husband, who then hoisted it in, and then I moved and sacked the hay. So it was a four-person operation, but so each right bale, back, each bale is being moved three times. Mhm. Mhm. Picked up on the truck, thrown to your husband. He picks it up. Gives it to you. You pick it up. Put it in place. Yep. Yep. It's like the bucket. For so it's not just three quarters of a ton moved by one person. It's three quarters of a ton moved by each one of you. Yes. Yes. Yep. Lots of movement. Lots of energy. Lots of energy. Mm-hmm. Well, I am very excited. I'm very excited. Because, yeah about the International Herb Symposium, where I'm going this weekend. Mm. Herbalists that I know from all over the world come to the International Herb Symposium. I'm not teaching. I'm just going to hang out with my friends and, who knows, maybe sell a few Hypericum T-shirts. We sold Hypericum T-shirts at the Michigan, um, the Midwest uh, Women's Herbal Conference in Wisconsin, where I just was. 
And as a matter of fact, uh, we just got a note from women who said, oh, I bought a shirt and I want more. They're so beautiful. Uh, and have you gotten comments on your shirt? I have actually not had a chance to wear my shirt in public yet because I somehow was stricken with a crazy form of, like, body aches and, like, a weird, like, type flu over the weekend that apparently my neighbor's husband and parents had, although we didn't see each other in a month. So I don't know how that's possible, but I heard them out wow. calling the same night that I got sick. <laughs> But we were hundreds yards apart, at least outside. But um, so mm. I haven't had a chance to wear my shirt yet. Haven't been out of your bed. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, yesterday was the first day I felt well enough to do anything, you know, other just than take care of myself and make sure I was fully recovered before I did anything. At the yeah. Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, one of the things that I really enjoyed was a feeling of safety. Did you have a sense of that there? Oh, I, yeah. And, and so much in fact that I never once thought about my safety, though I guess I did. Yeah. <laughs> Except yeah, for just... the ticks. I, I, I was vigilant with the ticks, but that's my own personal choice and it's part of nature. So that's a There you go. Exactly. <laughs> And yeah. for me, it's really different going to the International Herb Symposium. Oh, how? Um, well, just in the first of it, I do not feel safe there. Oh, my. That's, wow. I don't that's feel safe there because um, there's several notable times when I've been attacked there. And um, especially made to feel that my voice as a feminist and voice for women is not welcome. Wow. So Astrid Grove, I asked Astrid if she would come east and go with me, and she is. We're going to be talking tonight. She's still in Colorado, and she's going to be yeah. our guest tonight. And we're going to be talking about her herbal gathering, the Red Earth Gathering, where I'll be in September, and yes, I will be teaching there. Because that's another... Women's Herbal Conference, Women Earth Loving Conference, where I am cherished and held and mm. loved for mm. what I contribute and who I am. And it's it's not as though um, I think anything bad is going to happen this coming weekend. As I said, I'm really excited to be going. I'm really excited to see my many friends there. But I do recognize inside of myself that bad things have happened in the past, and that kind of makes me... mm, So I'm super excited that Astrid and I are going to go together. Wow, that is really marvelous. I'm so happy. Astrid is so beautiful, and inside and out, and just... How dear that she's going with you and you two are going to have a fabulous time together. Absolutely. And it's, Wheaton is a beautiful campus. And maybe this time, since I'm not teaching, we'll have more free time. I might even be able to, like, see a little of the town of Wheaton because I actually never have. 
I've always gotten there early, you know, done teachery things, you know, gone to the teacher's dinner. Then um, in years gone by, they used to take the teachers out on a little field trip. We went to interesting and marvelous places on a bus and, of course, got to know each other on the bus. I really appreciated and liked that. Thanks, Rosemary. Rosemary Gladstar would always engineer those, and they were a lot of fun. And then a special teacher's dinner where I would bring goat cheese. And, uh, in fact, the last time I went to the International Herb Symposium 2019, even though I wasn't teaching, because, of course, though they didn't know and nobody else knew, I had just finished my radiation at that point. And I was just feeling, you know, okay, you know, good enough to go, but not good enough to, like, give out. And, mm. um, yeah, it was funny because during the radiation I called myself Radiant Woman. And mm-hmm. since radiation was um, March and April, and so it was just, what, six weeks later, at the beginning of June, for uh, the International Herb Symposium. And I would say, like, over half the people that I saw there looked at me and said, oh, you look so radiant. <laughs> they were keeping that vibe. Radiant and so even though I wasn't teaching, I wasn't invited to the teacher's dinner, I went to the um, outside of the teacher's dinner and caught one of the waiters to come over and gave the teacher a piece, big piece of goat cheese to pass around for everybody to have. So I'm not going to do that Aww. this time. Yeah. Uh, it was um, an mm-hmm. interim, you know, COVID uh, virtual event. Um, I'm there for the people, so I didn't, I didn't do that. But uh, always wonderful, wonderful information. I know that I've, as a teacher, always appreciated the International Herb Symposium because it's a place where I've been able to um, talk about kind of things that I see on the horizon. Um, certainly not as supportive of my new ideas as Green Nations. Green Nations, thank you, Pam Montgomery, was always a place that really wanted to hear what was going on and what I was thinking. And also Botanicals on the Beach. Um so in the Pacific Northwest, um, wanted to know the most outrageous things that I was thinking. Mm. And, uh, they, you know, COVID pretty much shut them down. And they, they have decided, I think, not to regroup. But that was always a, a wonderful place, especially because of near where Ryan Drum lived. And he'd always take us out on a seaweed walk, which had to be scheduled according to the tide, right? Right. Oh, Wow. Oh, I'm just feeling a sense of nostalgia that I haven't had, an, had a chance to do some of these things that you're recounting. So, yeah. hmm. so don't Beautiful let, space. not just you, but everybody who's listening, don't let the opportunities for these upper conferences pass you by. It's one of the reasons I talk about them. They're very special events, and they fill you with memories. Mm-hmm. I think you would agree with that from the conference that you were just at, Sarah Ellen. Yes, with memories, with friends, acquaintances, people that somehow are such important pieces of the tapestry of life that I'm weaving, even though they may only come into a stitch every couple years, not even always at a conference. Just you never know where... I haven't been able, it's it's just been beautiful where people come back and circle into my life or, yeah, so much comes from these conferences, so much. So much. 
so much. It can't be put into words. It just can't. It can only be to experience. And you know what's a little like a conference? It's the Green Goddess Week, the Green Goddess Apprentice Week here. Yeah, I did that. Yes, it's that kind of experience for it women is. that you, yeah, that you come, you're immersed in women's community, which I don't even, if you haven't experienced what it is to live with women for days and days and to be fed and taken care of, you know, in an all-women's community, I, it's so beyond words, the the inner flowering that happens in every woman that I've seen in that situation. Yes. So, yeah, so there there is a Green Goddess Week this year coming up, as it always does, in August, so check that out. And, uh, you know, if a conference with hundreds and hundreds of people isn't your style, the, the Green Goddess Week, which we always keep small, may be more the way that you want to link into that. It always makes me happy to see how many of the um, Green Goddess apprentices create a Facebook group of their own and continue to stay in touch with each other. Mm, yes. And I'm a silk. I didn't do Green Goddess. I only did Green Witch, which is three days. But that's also very fun and connecting if you only have a weekend. And mm-hmm. it's a nice three-day nourishing. Oh, yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Was it four? Yes, mm-hmm. four days. Thursday, Friday, uh-huh. yeah. I was there mm-hmm. before it started, so I, I lost count. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, that's mm. another way. And, oh, just so beautiful. So beautiful. Yes, the, um, the green witch, um, I never know what to call it. We just hang out with the plants and we go up to Gretchen's and we have a good time. And we have a moon lodge and we do goddess archetype presentations. And have fun in the forest. Yeah, it's like, you know, like Justine has um, an online course that, that called Easy Herbal Medicine. And every week she says, okay, we have to make videos for Easy Herbal Medicine now. And the Green Witch is like that. It's like, oh, it's Easy Herbal Medicine. You just come and you eat good food and you play and we play with the plants and we play with the goats and we make remedies. And unless you're flying home, you can usually take all your remedies home with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Time for swimming. I love the swimming hole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, lovely. Summer's passed, and what's ahead yet this summer? Green witch playtime in July and green goddess apprentice week in August. Check them out. Come and join us. Anything else you want to talk about going on at your place? Oh, you know, just hoping for rain. That's all. That's the last word I'll put in on it. <laughs> yeah. I had a, a friend who <clears throat> called me in the aftermath who had just, like, panicked because her puppy had eaten some mouse poison. <gasps> and I said, oh, my gosh, didn't the vet tell you that mouse poison isn't poison to anything but rats and mice? Really? Yeah. 
Wow. Rat and mouse poison is a hemorrhagic agent. It's a blood thinner. And rats and mice don't make vitamin K. So they are, however, eaten by so many things, right? That you can't poison them with something that would poison the rest of the environment. Oh, my goodness. It's not like they eat the poison and bang, drop dead like in the movies with X's over their eyes. They eat the poison and they run around for hours and hours and hours before they die. And that would be true of any kind of poison. And so during that time, they could be, you know, beaten by a hawk or an eagle, you know, or anything else. So this is the safe way to get rid of rats and mice is you give them something that makes them bleed to death internally. And even if they're eaten by another animal, it doesn't hurt the other animal. How fascinating. I did not know that. Wow. I I always knew it, like, made them bleed to death, but I didn't know that rats didn't make vitamin K. (laughs) They bleed to death, right. It would probably kill a rabbit because the rabbit, you know, is related. I don't know whether or not they make vitamin K. And that, of course, makes me think about the beaver that we saw this weekend. We were out on the river. Actually, we went out on the Hudson River, and it was like, hmm, too windy. We're going back in the Esopus Creek. Now, the Esopus Creek is as big as most rivers are, right, because the Hudson is huge. And so we were just like motor off, just kind of drifting along in the Esopus Creek. And Justine said, look, I think it's a beaver dam over there. And we kind mm-hmm. of you know, used our eyes to pull ourselves closer to the beaver dam. And sure enough, it was a big beaver dam. And then one of the beavers came out and slapped the water to say, what are you all doing over here? And we just continued to, like, kind of hang out. And then it came out and it swam around, carrying a little green in its mouth. It's like, I'm just carrying this green around. I am not looking at you. The fact that I am swimming around is just because I need to. And it just swam out into the water, checked us out, swam back again. But it was carrying something, right? I said, yeah, well, we understand you're not checking us out at all. <laughs> I love it. There's this whole narrative going on for the beaver. But, and meanwhile, Justine's little dog, Petey, is there. And Petey, oh, I, I look at Petey, and Petey is just trembling. Petey is Aww. just, oh, my gosh, because Petey's a terrier, right? And terriers go after rats and just. This past month, Petey, for the first time, saw a woodchuck. It's like, kill woodchuck, woodchuck, woodchuck. <laughs> of course, the woodchuck's much bigger than Petey. So Petey's like, oh, rats live in water. Oh, my gosh. Life is so good. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Needless to say, we weren't let Petey in there. <laughs> Petey is much smaller than the beaver. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Justine would have to have the camera roll. That one, and save the dog. At the it's, not, it's not like the beaver swims with its body above water, right? All you see is the head, right? Right. So Petey had no idea how big the beaver actually was. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We were checking out one of our favorite linden trees, which overhangs the creek, and it's very easy to harvest from the boat because we can... 
right? Because it hangs kind of into the creek, so we can like just drift the boat right into it, uh, the, uh, oh, tie, tie ourselves to the tree and harvest. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Could there be a better way to harvest linden? That's so beautiful. Wow. <laughs> Not quite yet. <gasps> the usual for linden around here is the first week of July, but everything's so accelerated this year that I'm checking early. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, wow. speaking of wow. should we check and see if there's any questions? Uh, let's do that. Looks like we've got three hands that are up and ready with questions. I'll remind everyone listening, if you've got a question for Susan this evening, please press one so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. And we'll start with the first caller who has dialed in from the 908 area code. From the 908, you are live with Susan. Oh, Hi, Susan. Hi. I apologize for making you wait so long while Sarah and I chatted. Oh, I enjoyed every minute of it. Hi, Sarah Ellen as well. It's Carol. New well, Jersey. Hi, Carol. That's good. <laughs> oh. oh, good to see you again. Oh, you too, Susan. Um, so I have a couple questions. Um, one, I guess I'll start with the most important one. It, um, I, I, I seem to be needing a hearing aid. Um, I'm having trouble hearing um, the grandchildren and, and with background noise sometimes because they don't really, you know, stand straight ahead at me and speak. Um, so I just wondered if you had any suggestions for hearing other than thousands of dollars. Mm. Well, mm-hmm. you know, it really depends on exactly what's happening. Okay. And there are a lot of different devices. It's sounding to me like you're starting to lose the high end of the spectrum. Okay. And, of course, if you go, you know, online and check out the workings of the inner ear and how we actually hear, it is like amazing. And there's all these tiny little hairs in there. And the ones that pick up the smallest sounds or the highest sounds um, do kind of get old and not work very well. So we know that dogs can hear sounds we can't hear, right? Yeah. So they have more finer hairs in their ears just to start with than we do. Mm, Okay. And... So it's not that your hearing is going. Okay. And it might not help you to make it louder. <laughs> right? Yeah, I hear you. So A lot of people, when they can't hear the upper end, go for devices that amplify sound. And usually what that does is it amplifies what you can already hear. So that's why there's such a big difference in devices, right? Mm. The easiest to do are ones that just make everything louder. 
and then the more specificity you want in your device in terms of helping you to hear, the more difficult it is to make and the more it's going to cost. Yes, yes. So, I don't know anything beyond the basics. Yeah. The hearing professionals do. And especially when we are looking for help with something that we feel untutored in or ignorant Mm -hmm. of, it becomes very important for us to become our own expert. Oh, okay. So it, again, pretty easy these days for anybody to go online and to even put in your symptoms and see what they come up with as a diagnosis and a suggestion. I have been using two new apps, which wouldn't help you at all, but it, I want to mention them because it just tells us about the state of information that is now easily and commonly available to all of us. I have been thoroughly enjoying Merlin. Merlin is a bird identification app from Cornell University, which is free. Oh, boy. And when I wake up in the morning, I turn on Merlin to audio ID. (laughs) And Merlin tells me who is singing in the woods and outside my window. Oh, beautiful. Including telling me several days in a row that there's a wild turkey out there, which I can't hear, but it can. Uh, Oh, it has told me that I can hear them calling. It's shown me, but it will show you the bird. It identifies the call, shows you the bird. I think, my gosh, I've never even seen those birds, but there's the call. So hooray for Merlin and hooray that it can do this, and it's free for all of us. Oh, yeah. Right. And, of course, that's just one little bit of it. Of course, it will also, if you, like, take a picture of the bird, it will visually identify it for you. It identifies flight patterns. It's fantastic. Ah. And then the other one I've really been enjoying is Seek. S-E-E-K. And Seek is also a free app from Cornell. And... It basically identifies anything in nature. Oh, wow. Right? Mm, Yeah. Some of my peach leaves were pink. So Mm -hmm. I went to think, seek, S-E-E-K, I am seeking something, seek. I went to seek, and I pointed my camera at the pink peach leaves, and it says, peach leaf curl, very common fungal infection in home peach trees. Here's what you do about it, and don't bother trying to pick the leaves off. won't help. Don't need a lot of effort, because that's what I would have done, right? Yes. And it's totally free. And neither one of these apps has hit me up for extras or specials. You know how so many 
sometimes an app will say, it's free, it's free. And then you use it for two seconds, literally, and it says, oh, now, if you really want to enjoy it, you'll pay us. Yeah, right. Not true of Merlin or Seek. I've been using them for weeks, and neither one of them has asked me for anything. (laughs) Wonderful discovery. So, inform yourself about hearing. Inform yourself about your hearing. Inform yourself about what's available so that when you go to a specialist, someone who can test you, just like... Just like when you go to somebody who's a specialist in eyes and they, you know, yeah. have, have you do various tests so that they can see what your range of vision is. They'll do tests to see what your range of hearing is. And then they will suggest various things to you. And because you will already have made the effort to know what's available, um, you will have intelligent questions to ask. Yes, that's absolutely right. I thought that I could probably get what I wanted with this device since really it only bothers me when I'm with the grandchildren. And you're suggesting this other device, which is four or five times more expensive. Can you tell me how it would be of that much more benefit to me? Yes. And maybe maybe it will be and maybe it won't. Right, correct. So you won't be swayed into doing something that you maybe don't really want to do. Yes. Yes. And I always remind you, if invasive tests are asked for, and they rarely are with hearing, um, yeah, right. Always okay to say, I need to think about it for a while. Yes. Yeah, I heard you just, yeah, last week with the uh, the cholesterol. Yeah. Exactly. But, I just need to think yeah. about that for a while. Not saying no, just need to think about it. Yeah. And excellent. then you go home and you do more research. <laughs> yes, excellent. And especially with something like hearing loss where your feet are not being held to the fire and you actually have some time to look around and find out what's there. I know that in my area, I don't know about yours, but in my area, all the places that sell hearing aids offer free hearing tests. Yes. Yes. I think I also, a consideration is to try them on and see how they inside my ear. That's a real big issue for me. Yeah, because yes. I'm not. Yeah, because you're um, not a big. You're not a big person. You're on the smaller side. Yes. Yes. Um. So. And so th- things can feel awkwardly large for you. Yes. If, if no one else calls in later, may I call back because I want to give other people a chance now. Carol, that that's so sweet. Of course. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, All right. I thank you so much. Thank you so much. Sarah Allen, thank you. Love, Love you, you lot. so much. Yeah. All right. At this time, it looks like there are three hands with raised, uh, that have been raised with questions. 
The next caller is dialed in from the 512 area code. From the 512, you are live with me. Hello? Hi. Hi. Um, I was calling with some, uh, I was hoping that maybe you would talk a little bit about um, managing fevers in children and babies. And yes, I can hear the baby right here with us. How lovely. <laughs> the baby sounds maybe unhappy. Maybe the baby has a, has a fever. So, my favorite evil lowering for children is elderflower. Do you have any elderflower, anything on hand? Um, so I don't have elderflower. I have elderberry and I have echinacea. And I've used... Echinacea is good. Elderberry is not what you Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I'm sorry, making noise right when I Um, 
and then I saw the nurse practitioner, and she, you know, was thinking it's probably like viral. Um, I have a three, almost four-year-old as well, who's like uh, complaining of like kind of like stomach ache. She doesn't really have diarrhea or anything, but I noticed like you have like some mucusy kind of stuff in his um, stool earlier and so I thought okay maybe it's um maybe it's that but like a stomach bug you know um right now how high is baby's temperature uh the last time I checked was at like 645 and it was 101.4 is that a level that makes you very nervous and uncomfortable well, I so so this is it's like a whole conversation I was hoping to kind of have. I mean, because like obviously what I have read and what I have researched, and I mean it's really easy to just you know look online and find like seemingly very reputable resources like Children's Hospitals and Johns Hopkins University and Stanford Medicine and all of these various institutions that basically say that uh, 102 is, you know, um, about as, you know, anything higher than 102, I guess, is like... um, That's that's my cutoff point. If it's it's 103, I'm worried. If it's 102, I'm maximally alert. If it's 101, I'm on the case, but I'm not worried. So then what happened for me was, so it's like every time I take my children, if I take them to like an urgent care to get a swab for something or, um, you know, the pediatrician, whoever, um, I don't really have a pediatrician I like yet. Actually, I have a family medicine doctor and they're basically integrative. I mean, they say they're integrative and they seem comfortable and like, they at least kind of know what I mean when I say that I'm giving echinacea and elderberry and things like that, but they don't really um, necessarily practice that, you know, but um, they, I still am told to administer Motrin or Tylenol. Um, I mean, really they're, they're definitely on the higher end. I guess the triage nurse today, so I called back. You know, after I went in and I was like, well, it's, you know, his fever's at like 102 because it did get it to 102 earlier. And she said um, that she would, you know, that I should definitely be giving Tylenol and Motrin or Motrin, you know, one or the other. And I want to interrupt you and ask you how frequently you were giving him echinacea at that point. I, um, had probably given him, so the fever started at about 6.30 this morning. It was 101 point something. I can't remember anymore. I've checked this temperature so much, but it was over 101. I wasn't really that concerned. He was still happy and laughing and just his normal self. Um, And then... Uh, so I gave him, 
a little, I took some breast milk and I did exactly what you just said. Like I measured out about a tablespoon and put some in it and then I just gave it to him in a syringe. Um, it was a syringe. And then um, I would say I had administered it, you know, every couple of hours, um, at least like three or four times, you know. Actually, yeah, I had definitely given it. Cause, so what happened was um, we went to the doctor and then I wasn't giving him anything for a while because we were out, you know. Then we came home. And it was that no two, so I gave him some right away. It did bring it down, but it's only been bringing it down to like you know, yeah, like one oh one point four, one oh one point five. So what I do when I'm getting good results with fever that it does bring it down, it does bring it down generally pretty fast. Is I shorten up the time as soon as the fever starts to come up. I do echinacea again, even if that's even if I'm giving echinacea every half hour. Okay, yeah, that's what I started to do too. Yeah, I guess it's good, uh, what a good impulse. I'm so glad you're okay. you're so feeling so confident. You're taking such good care of this baby. Thank you. So then, though, like suddenly he started to actually act like sick. You know, it's like he hasn't been acting sick all day. He's been acting really comfortable, even with the higher fevers. You know. And it's also coinciding with the time of night where he's starting to get sleepy. So, you know, this is, it's like coincides with his general fussy time. But I mean, I can look at him and tell, you know, he's not feeling good. And, um, and so then it was just like, suddenly I checked and it was like 102.5, just bam. And he started crying and I got really scared and, I gave him a dose of Tylenol. <laughs> it was like 2.5 milliliters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. There you go. Yay. Tylenol to the rescue. Did it bring it down? Yes. It brought it down to 101.4 was the last I checked. All right. So, I mean, and then, so that's my question. It's like, is it, is that, is it bad to use Tylenol? I mean, I'm asking these nurses and these and the doctors and stuff and I'm saying like okay well you know doesn't the body produce the fever for a reason like aren't we supposed to try and let it you know run its course because it helps to engage the immune response or whatever you know and the the very young and the very old the fever mechanism in the brain is not well regulated okay you're absolutely right for the vast majority. But in the very young and the very old, it's really dangerous to do that. Okay. We actually had a couple here in Woodstock who insisted on treating their baby holistically, and it had a very high fever, and it seized and died. So it does happen. Your baby's nowhere near that. Their baby was running a fever of 104, 105. It was really high fever. And, um, you know, we said, we said directly to them, you know, that don't you think that giving your baby a drug once is better than having a baby that's damaged? It didn't didn't even really, you know, occur to me at that point that their baby was going to die. Mm-hmm. So we all 
find our own place on the spectrum between these people who I'm sure weren't saying to themselves, I would rather that my baby die before I give my baby a drug, mm-hmm. and those who, who simply give their baby drugs and don't think to do anything else. Yeah. Right? And well, there's many, many, many places in between those two attitudes, right? And to me, integrated medicine is exactly what you're doing. It is mm-hmm. saying, hey, I've been using this herb. I've been using this herb really well. And I don't feel comfortable anymore. I'm really upset for my child. I'm going to use a drug now because that's going to make me feel better because it's going to make my kid feel better. Yeah, it's like the the pain here. So the one thing I read I really liked was, like it said, uh, I think it's the Johns Hopkins, Johns Hopkins Medicine uh, website that comes up when you look, you know, at, like children's fevers and stuff. And um, they talk about treating the fever when the child is uncomfortable. So I was pretty comfortable with it when he wasn't in pain, but then when he suddenly crying and obviously in discomfort, I felt like he maybe needed the pain reducer, you know, for whatever he's going through. Um, and, I mean, I'll take an ibuprofen myself for a headache, so I'm like, why would I not, you know, like obviously. Allow him, right. Now, yeah. one of the things that I learned at the Hypericum conference is that we underuse Hypericum in this kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And that both its antiviral and its pain-relieving qualities are very well suited for the, this kind of situation, especially when you don't think you're getting what you need from the echinacea, which, if it's a virus, you're probably not going to because echinacea is not really antiviral. But hypericum is. And okay. hypericum perforatum is also known as St. John's wort or St. John's wort. Yes, yeah. I, I have a little bit of that, and I can order it and have it here like in a day or something, but I might have to, or I think I can go to like Whole Foods or some health food store and get yeah. a little so, bit. Um, right? Get a sense of whether or not that might be some a remedy that you might not want to use at this point. So when you were what well, if it was an adult who was not responding strongly enough to the echinacea, who would get a little better and then a little worse and a little better and a little worse? What I would do is be would be to add pokroot. Mm-hmm. But I hesitate to do that as a baby. Right. Whereas the yeah. hypericum, um, and we know from Astrid Grove's presentation at the hypericum conference, that hypericum is safe for pregnant women, lactating women, and children. Oh, is- yeah, I use it every day, usually myself, which is why I'm pretty much out. But And I and I did, I am familiar with the antiviral properties because of, you know, listening to you. But um, And I'm just now kind of learning about the, you know, the muscle pain you know, how it can help with all of that. But I guess my my only other question would be, like, aside from just, like, rushing him to the emergency room, if, for instance, I give him the Tylenol and then I continue to administer the echinacea and, um, 
and maybe even some St. John's work, which I guess with that, just uh, I missed what you said about elderberry. You were saying it's not very effective for viruses in children or? No, I said that it's completely different than elderflower. Yeah, right, right, okay. Your question wasn't about viruses, it was about fever. Yeah, okay, okay. So elderflower resets the fever control mechanism. Mm-hmm. Again, you think, oh, the fever's going up because there's more and more infection. And I think, ah, the fever control mechanism is not well regulated. Yeah. Flower regulates that. I learned this when I had a friend who was in a horrible traffic collision and suffered, among many other injuries, a very bad concussion. And when they finally sent her home to us the first evening, right about this time, as it wasn't light, but it wasn't really dark, she started to run a fever. And that fever went from 99 to 100 to 101 to 102 to 103. And we're like just going, oh, my gosh, what is going on here? And we called, you know, should we bring her back to the hospital? And the nurse said, you can bring her back to the hospital if you want to pay $100 for two aspirin because that's what we'll give her. Ah, right. Right, you don't give children aspirin, right, because Ray syndrome. But Uh that's what they suggested for that. And I said, well, just aspirin? Doesn't she have an infection? I said, no, she doesn't have an infection. No, we just released her. She's infection-free. What's happened is a concussion rattled her fever control mechanism, and it's not regulated right anymore. And the waning of the light triggers it to make you warmer. Mm-hmm. And I said, thank you very much for that little lesson of what's going on with my friend here. And hung up the phone and gave us an elderflower tincture. And we only had to do it two or three days in a row. And then her fever control mechanism was Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely heard you mention elderflower in ter- in relation to children's fevers, and I just, yeah. for some reason, I always just kind of skip over that, and I have four kids, well, three small ones, so I really need to get some of that, I think. <laughs> I don't know where you live, but most places, elderflower is just about to bloom or already started today. The what? Elder flowers. Where do you live? Do you live where elder grows? I live in Austin, Texas. I don't really. No, you don't live where elder grows. Okay. Where we are in the northeast, there's a lot of elder, and it's in bud. It will be flowering very soon. Mhm. What about maybe red moon herbs or something? Do they red sell moon it? herbs? Excellent place. Yes. Wonderful. Okay. Um, I guess my other question, just uh, to wrap it up, I know I need to give some other people some time too, but like other, aside from just like rushing into the emergency room, like you mentioned poke root for adults, but like what would you do in a situation if the temperature was just like rising, um, you know, uncontrollably with a small like infant or child? Well, you know, what they had me do 
when my daughter had very high fever was to chill her. That is not completely smiled at now. They actually had me uh, put rubbing alcohol on her to bring her fever down. And then to rinse her with cold water. Mm. Um, And I can only tell you, it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that that's probably what I would do. I am not suggesting this. It's for the general run of the mill, the things we're talking about. Elderflower mm-hmm. tincture, echinacea tincture, hypericum tincture, much, much, much better. And as I said, although that was standard medical procedure then, it isn't now. That they would yeah. Leave even put babies in tubs of ice to bring down fevers. Yeah, I've seen it. Like, there's a lot of disclaimers that say, like, no ice baths and no alcohol baths anymore and all that. Exactly. Exactly. But the reason they say no is because it was the what they did. Mm Mm-hmm. So that means it works, and it works quickly, and it's very effective. Mm Mm-hmm. The yeah, problem absolutely. is if you're not careful, you can harm the kid with too much cold. Mm-hmm. The vapors from the alcohol are not healthy. Mm-hmm. But your question wasn't, what should I do in the first place? Your question was, if I don't want to take my kid to the emergency room, what emergency procedure can I do myself? And that is one. Right. Huh? Yeah, I guess I don't really know what they would do at the emergency room either, so that, I guess, like maybe I was told that I can call and talk to the triage nurse at an emergency room before taking him too. So that made me feel a little more comfortable. Like I could. Oh, I am so glad of that. That's wonderful that they do that. So much better, so much better for everybody. Yeah. And I thank COVID for making telemedicine and phone medicine and all of this much more welcomed and accepted because the vast majority of the case, you do not benefit anybody by schlepping your baby to an emergency room. Right. Yeah, no. Well, there's all kinds of other bacteria and viruses. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and just, yeah, like some, I mean, I found that out the hard way too. It's just everything is treated like an emergency and it may not necessarily be warranted at that stage, you know, and you're like, oh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it, you can definitely walk into a situation where maybe things are being done that you don't really want to do or something. And it, exactly. You know, it, exactly. So I'm so glad that you have that access to give a call there. Yeah. Okay. And you're doing a great job. Okay, thank you. Thank you We're very much. Totally right Thanks. on. You know, I'm. I have maybe more experience, so I can offer you perhaps a, a, you know a few extra things. But you're doing great on your own. Okay, well, thank you very much, Susan, for your time you're and welcome. your help. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. All right, and like there are. Two new callers that have hands raised, and this is also waiting with another question. And we'll go to the next new question from the 510 area code. From the 510, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hi. 
Hi. I really liked your baby song. I was like, oh, I wish she would sing me that song. <laughs> baby, 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 baby. Just don't scream, okay? Not to worry. Though I feel like screaming. I have a problem. Tell it's me. a strange one. So what happened was um, I I um, was able to scrape together some money years ago and buy a um a really, really small property, and I, for the last 13 years, been growing two little physic gardens, actually three, one in the backyard and one in the patio and one in the front yard. And last Thursday, my neighbors um, have these roofers that blew their powder debris over two of the gardens, and then they sprayed it with a material um, that they told me what it was, but it left a white, uh, a dusting of white powder and some sand over the entire thing. Um, and it's I consider it them physic gardens. I use them for herbs. I use them for smudges. I use them for food. I've got trees. I've got it's the whole the whole schmear. And um, I'm trying to I'm. I'm completely devastated that um, I can't use my garden for that, and I'm trying to find out how to. <sighs> so the way their way of dealing with this was just vac- vacuuming the paths, and they blew some of the stuff further into the garden. I tried to vacuum the soil. You can't vacuum the soil, um, which wasn't really removing it. And I can't see a way to vacuum the plants. And the wind's been blowing the last five days, so it's it's powdery out there. So I'm just trying to – the plants themselves, they're going to be fine. You know how plants are. But my interaction – with my gardens and me growing plants for my nourishment. And I, you know, I'm, I'm working on trying to get in touch with some soil science scientists. It's been pretty tough to try to figure out what this stuff will do when it gets into the soil. I know it contains some polymers, which are considered mutagenic, carcinogenic, um, toxic to aquatic life. And those will break down in about a month but then also some um, titanium dioxide, propylene glycol, and aluminum hydroxide. So um, I just wonder how you would handle something like this. I just contracted with somebody to cut down four trees, and they cut down 12. Oh, no. And they took responsibility for it. Oh, this company won't take responsibility for it. So we had a path. Yeah. To work it out. Mm-hmm. And um, this person said things to me like, I obviously wasn't listening clearly. Right. I thought I was doing something nice for you, which I can hear. (laughs) And I can say, your idea of nice and my idea of nice is very different. I hear that you really intended to do something nice for me, right? Right. Because in this case, they were intending to do something nice. Even though 
even though it breaks my heart. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yes. But, I mean, huge, huge shrubs and trees that I've oh. been for years and years and years are just like gone to the ground. Oh my God. <laughs> every time I walk past that, I'm like, ah! Exactly. But, but what can we do? We can stop ourselves from hurting ourselves. What has been done hurts us, but we can stop yeah. hurting ourselves over and over again with it. That's very challenging for me. But yes, it's I very agree. challenging for all of us. Yes. It's much easier to hurt ourselves. Whew. Especially yeah. when we get to blame somebody else. Well... But it's really just us hurting ourselves. They did it once. We're repeating mm-hmm. it. And we can't right. stop. They did what they did. Right. I don't like it. You don't like it. Right. They may be sorry. They may not be sorry. They're they may be sorry. willing to be responsible. <laughs> they may not be willing to be responsible. They're not willing to be responsible. So then you have to decide what the most healing thing for you. It might be to sue their butts off. Right. It might be to say, I'm going to get in touch with people who do micro-remediation and see what they can suggest to me in terms of mushrooms or mycelium that might deal with this problem because it's the only thing I know of that will. And meanwhile, Mm -hmm. I'm starting a new garden. It's the right time of the year. Yeah, I have a really tiny amount of space. So are you saying... I mean, I'm already working more in the backyard and thinking about maximizing that. I mean, it's, these are teeny little spaces, but um, I understand. I completely yeah. understand. And I don't know how to feel like... These spaces are, as you say, and I'm not questioning that at all, yeah. if right now these are not spaces that you would care to use medicine or food plants for, from, That's right. then where's another space? In the front? Right. At a community no, garden? The front. Right. Where yeah, it, that. Wherever yeah. that is, okay. I'm encouraging you to focus your efforts there as well as check out remediation of contaminants with mycelium and mushrooms okay. because they're capable of dealing with hydrocarbons okay. and heavy metals and a variety of things that are yucky. Okay. But I, I hear you and it's probably true, given what you said. I, I don't know enough yeah. about it. Say yay or yeah. nay. It's probably true that you're probably smart not to eat anything from those places. No, the hard part is thinking long term. I, I don't know when. That's I will why be I'm able saying micro remediation yeah. for long term. Mm-hmm. And.
and mm. I worked with a program called Gardens for All. And we were literally mandated to have people garden in inner city vacant lots and median strips. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, wow, you know. Yeah. And I got the soil tested. It was like, yuck. You know, <laughs> all kinds of, like, I'm like, oh, you know, are we really helping these people by having them grow food in this? Right. Right, but the truth of the matter was they weren't going to get any produce at all if it wasn't this. So the answer was yes. And what we soon discovered was when we added organic matter to the soil, mm-hmm. that the contaminants weren't present in the produce. Oh, wow. Okay. And this kind of set me on, because this is very early on, it was like back in the 70s that I was doing this, mm-hmm. this set me on the understanding that um, living organisms will always choose the best nourish- nourishment and leave behind oh. that which is less than optimum so long mm-hmm. as they can. Okay. This is the basis with which they passed out iodine tablets when Chernobyl went off, right? Throughout the Scandinavian Mm -hmm. countries, this big cloud of radioactive iodine is making its way from Chernobyl. And what they did was they all chowed down on iodine because that's better and then their thyroids wouldn't absorb the radioactive iodine. Right. Okay. And I think they actually passed out kelp tablets. I'm not sure about Mm-hmm. At any rate, it was a natural source of iodine because the body preferred that to the radioactive iodine. That's smart, yeah. And this is what we saw, that the plants, even when the soil was badly contaminated with something like lead, which can easily be taken up by plants, so mm-hmm. long as there was enough organic matter in that soil, there was no mm-hmm. lead in the plants that we were harvesting. Wow. Okay. That's hopeful. Yeah. 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 Also in, I, you know, this is, there's no radioactivity that I know of, but I do know that in situations with radioactivity, one of the remediations is to grow fast-growing pine trees, which tend to sequester contaminants in their bark. Okay, so I need to do a little research. All right. Yeah, I know that mm-hmm. sunflowers have been used in bioremediation. Mm-hmm. I know that... Um, True reeds um, mm-hmm. have been used in wet areas. So there's a lot of work in bioremediation. And since you have some specifics, I suspect you that you can find some things. But again, the first place I would look, and I'd even get in touch with Paul Stamets, S T A M E T. Oh, okay. All right, Mr. Mushroom, he's mm-hmm. the one who yeah. really has his fingers to the pulse of microremediation. You probably won't talk to him personally, okay. but he's got a huge staff, and they can, okay. I'm sure, at least send you to a website, if not to an actual person. That would be wonderful. Okay, because I don't want to dig out, you know, I talked to some, I talked to the chemical company that makes the stuff, and they're like, well, we don't know what it does in the soil. You should just remove the top two inches, and it's just like a knife to my heart, right? Like the top two inches of soil, that's what I've been building up for the last 13 years, you know, that's... It's, you know, I caught myself getting glassy-eyed with my neighbor saying, like, the soil is gold, you know, like, I love the soil. Um, So the idea of actually 
leaving it be in its way, you know, removing everything I can, which is mm-hmm. difficult, but, um, mm-hmm. and then just letting it, I mean, I know the earth regenerates itself. It's, it's the people that are like, hey, but I want this. Well, to well this yes, but it does it over a timeline that is vastly different than ours. Yes, exactly. Right. You know, it's like my pond. I have a quarry pond behind my house, and every year, nature does her best to fill that hole up. She throws branches (laughs) and trees and all kinds of stuff in there. And I Mm -hmm. say, I understand. And again, it will be Earth, but not on my watch, not during the brief decades of my watch. It's a pond. It's a pond. It's a pond. (laughs) (laughs) It's a losing battle. The Earth will win, but not on my watch. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, we're humans. We're gardeners. Right. And that means we change things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. You are welcome. And, you know, all of us as gardeners also learn that because we change things, that it's a good idea to spend time just sitting and observing. Yeah. And I suspect that if you do that with this, the soil and the gardens, that they mm-hmm. may have something important to tell you. Okay. Yeah, my, my um, it's it's going to take me a little while to listen. I've been pretty worked up, but I, but I hear you. I'll be, yeah. Yeah. So we I'll be all trying know. to soothe myself to the place where I can hear again. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. And the way to do that is to stop hurting yourself. You were hurt once. Right. And that's, that's all you need is that once. It's always tricky how to get myself to stop, I guess, just the thought. <laughs> well, I, think I find the easiest way to get myself to stop doing that is to choose a color. What color do you choose? Just tell me right now okay. a color. Any color. Turquoise. Turquoise, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, when you start thinking about how upset you feel about this whole thing, mm-hmm. I want you to say to yourself, turquoise, 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 and I want you, insofar as you can, in your environment, to find something that is turquoise and to fasten your eyes on it and fill your visual field with the color turquoise while you say to yourself, turquoise, 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 and do you forget <laughs> why on earth am I doing this? Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of... A lot of me saying turquoise, but I'll do it. Initially, it is a lot of you saying turquoise, (laughs) but you know what? It's so effective that really within a day or two, you will be down to just a few times a day. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. You know, the real thing that, not that this isn't a real thing, the more difficult thing, let's put it this way, the more difficult thing is to then, Use the energy, the very strong energy you are feeling mm-hmm. to wish upon those people who hurt you that they should never experience hurt. Okay. Because in that way, you also get yourself off the hook, right? Right. So long as you are wanting to hurt them, and we all do when we're hurt. We want to hurt back. I don't actually want to hurt them. It's true. I'm just not, yeah, I, but I, I, there is a part of me that does want the, I need to do something to tell the contractor this is not okay. Yes. So that might be in their pocketbook. I don't know. I'm exploring a few routes that way. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay out, I'm not going to bankrupt myself to do it, but I do need 
them to get some kind of a slap, and that's not to hurt them. I mean, if it's a positive, yes, it seems to be all they'll listen to. But a yeah, slap I do. To hurt, it's true. And the reason yeah. you want to hurt them is because they have hurt you, and they will take no responsibility. Mm. See, in the situation where I was hurt, and I said mm-hmm. to that person, "You have hurt me," and they said, "Oh, I didn't listen." Right. Right. That obviates my need, right? Once that person says, that's what I really want is to, to take responsibility. If I can't get that, right. then I want to hurt them. And it's okay. I mean, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross mm-hmm. was very, very strong on this. As a matter of fact, we spent like endless hours um, helping people find where they wanted to hurt others and beat up pillows. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, because we, I do, I want because we don't let hurt. ourselves yeah. feel that in a meaningful enough way. And I hear that there's also part of you that doesn't want to hurt them. Absolutely. Yeah. You would much prefer yeah. that they said, oh, my gosh, what a horrible thing. How can we help you? Right. They're not doing that. They have, their ch- they had a ch- they have all these chances they're not taking. So, but I do need, I do need them to know it's not. It's not okay. Not okay. Yeah. 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 And he said, what can I do to make it right? And I said, you can help me plant some new plantings. Yeah. So also, also find what it is that you can ask for. It's good to be able to ask for something. Right. Well, if I can find a remediation um, company or plan or something like that, then I can ask for be that. Be something you can ask for. Yeah. And right now, you can also ask for help with creating a new garden. Because you're going to need a new garden this year. At least one. I, okay. I don't think I'm going to do that this year. I've already, I don't have the energy. I hear you. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, hush. Maybe, maybe you want a few pots of things. I'll do that. Yeah, I did have the foresight to cover my St. John's wort and my mother wort. <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> I was like, if these two get damaged, I'm going to lose it. So I covered those. So I can still use those. That's good. I can still. Make medicine if I need to. I'm so glad. Thank you. What a wise woman you are. Aw. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to sing myself that baby song when I need to. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank Great you. Great blessing. Good Great night. Blessings. Good night. All right. We've got about three minutes. Um, enough time for one more caller, maybe, before Astrid joins us from the yes. 570. You're with Susan from the 570. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi, my name's Tori. Um, I have a question for you. Um, I'm a new mother. Um, I had a C-section in December. Um, I still have a lot of feels about that. Um, I'm just kind of wondering what kind of herbs I can plant. Um, I, I have a garden for the first time ever and 
just wondering, like, is there anything I can plant that I can can kind of help me on this journey post-C-section, um, you know, to help me physically, emotionally, spiritually as I kind of go through, you know, the next few months? Just want to pick your brain on that. Calendula is an annual which can be seeded right in the garden at almost any time Mm -hmm. and generally grows pretty easily into big, healthy flowers that can be used both as a tincture and as an oil or an ointment for a variety of healing adventures. And many people find that the bright, sunny, orange flowers really cheer their spirit. Okay. I I Hypericum, St. Yeah. John's or St. Joan's wort is a perennial. If it's planted from seed this year, it won't be harvestable this year, but it will next year. Mm. Whereas Calendula being an annual will be harvestable in a couple of months, in fact. Nasturtiums are another annual that's edible, beautiful, grow like crazy, pest-free. Mm-hmm. And are great for beginning gardeners. Mm. Right. M- many herbs like mint or rosemary or lemon balm or so on that we might think of are actually much more easily started from cuttings. And so what you want to do is to find people who have those plants and Mm -hmm. get cuttings from them. The Mm -hmm. one mint that grows very easily, I find, from seed is catnip. Mm. And you'll be able to harvest catnip this year. And when you say harvest, I also I also grow a mint family member, which doesn't seem mm-hmm. minty to most people, called she so S H I S O she so Perilla mm-hmm. is its botanical name. And once you get established, it will sell seed and it will grow forever. Mm-hmm. So I like that as a first annual that you throw down the seeds, and I prefer the red flat leaf variety. And you throw down the seeds and you stomp them into the soil and Mm -hmm. water it well, and off you go. You have a perilla patch, and you make sure to let it flower and set seed, and then next year it's going to be growing, not only there, but in lots of other places. And before you know it, there's perilla here and perilla there and perilla everywhere. (laughs) It's a wonderful plant. In the salads, it's got the most beautiful color. As a matter of fact, it's more related in terms of its action to Tulsi than to peppermint. And I call it American Tulsi. Tulsi, of course, is a plant of the tropics, sacred basil. And this is is related to it, of course, because it comes in this purple color like Tulsi does. And that's a, a signal of very high antioxidant activity. So we also make a vinegar of it. Um, they're used in brines to turn whatever is being brined a pink, like umiboshi plums are brined with shiso leaves, with perilla leaves. 
And mm-hmm. I also just dry them and grind them up with some salt and put it on the table as a seasoning. The mm-hmm. seeds have been used as a um, food stuff to add um, texture and um, more nutrition to bread flour. Mm. And personally, I think the smell of it and the sight of hundreds of these purple leaf plants growing together in wild abandon is fabulous for my spirit. Mm. I love that. Another fun plant for the first garden is comfrey. You'll want to find somebody who can give you a comfrey root or two. And you want to be really careful to plant it where you want it to grow forever. Hmm. It cannot be gotten rid of and it cannot be moved. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And with that, I am going to wish you happy gardening. Thank you. I'm excited. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. And welcome Astrid Grove to the show. She is the founder and organizer for Red Earth, the Mountain West Women's Herbal Gathering and co-creator of the Wise Woman Sisterhood, a 12-month apprenticeship. Astrid Grove celebrates life with her husband, her two daughters, her two cats, and a lot of chickens. Her passion (laughs) lies in facilitating and supporting women's empowerment through midwifery, hands-on healing, plant medicine, and sacred ceremony. This year is the seventh annual Red Earth Gathering, the Mountain West Women's Herbal Gathering, September 15th through 17th, 2023, at 13 Moons Ranch in Carbondale, Colorado. Hello, love. Hi, Astrid. Hi, Susan. Are you packed? I am packed. I am ready to fly up into the sky over to you in the middle of the night. (laughs) Well, good. We had a little wrinkle in our travel plans occur today. As I was leaving Gordon's, somebody took the front off my car. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, she was going so fast that in swerving to try to avoid me, she rolled her car. Oh, my gosh. Is everyone so, okay? at one moment, I thought I was dead meat because she was barreling down the road, you know, oh. and right, just just starting to pull out of the driveway, and here's this car just like, Wah! which, no, of course I didn't. Everybody said to me, you didn't see her? I'm like, you think I'm going to pull this front? Pull this front? I said, I see her. Come on. No. <laughs> see anything at all. And so she swerved and, and rolled her car. So first I thought I was dead, and then I thought she was dead. Mm. And that was so much worse than not being dead. Mm-hmm. I just really, I'm like just standing there trying to figure out how I am going to cope with having killed somebody. <sighs> like, 
I read, and I, you know, I'm too stunned even to think motherwort. I didn't think motherwort until I got home. I'm like, hello, could you just go get yourself some motherwort, girl? <laughs> that was absolutely my first thought. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm giving you some motherwort yeah. right now. Yeah, and I also had to to rest my mind away from repeating over and over again, seeing her car rolling and thinking she was mm-hmm. in, and like, hey, I mean, let's just think about when you saw her standing there on the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bring that image up. Look, there she is standing on the road. Look, there she is standing on the road. Look, there she is standing on the road. Look, there. <sighs> hey, our minds are just so like. Anyhow, we have to rent a car, honey. Okay. We're not driving there in my car. Oh, no. Nope. Not happening. So, nope. It's not happening. So we're going <laughs> to listen just so you know. Okay. We have a minor change of plans here. No, no problem. And, you yeah. know, I walked away. She walked away. Yeah. We're all, yeah. like, totally good. Hooray, car manufacturers. Right. right. Pat on the back for keeping occupants safe. Yes, that's amazing. She rammed into you. You're okay. She rolled her car. She's okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Count the blessings. Mm-hmm. Count the blessings. And mm-hmm. every emergency personnel said the same thing, too. They said, you're mm-hmm. okay. The rest is just stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what I said, too. I said, yep. Yep. I said, so far as I know, in New York State, I am at fault because I was entering the roadway. Mm. And it doesn't matter, you know, how fast she was going. I, uh, I'm i the one who was supposed to be able to see. It's very limited flight distance. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a little hill, and I can see just at the top of the hill, and she just came up over that hill so fast. I can picture right where you were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know, because mm-hmm. you've been there. Yeah. So w- one of the three bad intersections in my life. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm good. Good. And, and you're good? good? Yes. And Red Earth is fabulous. Talk to us about Red Earth. How did you first, how did you first come by the idea of having the Mountain West Women's Herbal Gathering? What made you, did you just wake up one morning and say, I have to do this? Or did it creep up on you? Oh, that's a good question, Susan. Um, well, I had, you know, I've lived in many places. I'm a woman who lives in many places. Apparently, I can claim that now. Um, I move around a lot, and I realize I quite enjoy that. I like being in new places and learning new plants and seeing the same plants all over the place that I love that are in all the different regions and drawing those connections I find really fun. Like, oh, wow, I tend to live where trillium grows or things like that, like in the deep woods. Um, so, so I had lived in the Northeast and had gone to the Northeast Women's Herbal Gathering, and then I had lived for a long time in California, where there's a really wonderful women's herbal called the Northern California Women's Herbal Symposium, and they meet three times a year, and so often go three times a year. It was such an amazing touchstone to have a group of women that gathered from all over the state that many times during the year to be on the earth together, barefoot, around the fire, drumming and singing and learning and raising children together in this ancient village sort of way. And so then I moved to Colorado, which is where I live now, and I've lived here for eight years. And that first year when um, I had my second daughter and I said, well, I'll just go back to California every year and and go to that gathering because I really want my girls to grow up in this women's culture 
And then I realized I was completely impractical. I wasn't going to be able to do that. I didn't want to do that. And so it inspired me to... Rattling with infants and children. <gasps> yes. <laughs> and yes, exactly. And the expense of it and just like it wasn't the community that I lived in anymore, even though I feel so deeply connected to the women there and we stay in touch. But this was a new community that I was living in here in the Mountain West with such rich history of women herbalists and wise women in this area and an herbal school run by a woman and just just a lot of uh, richness here. And so there wasn't a women's herbal you know, there used to be the Southeast Women's Herbal, and there's the Midwest Women's Herbal, and there was the Northwest Women's Herbal. It's like every region sort of has their gathering. And I said, well, I'm feeling called to create this for for the children. That was really my original, for my children and all the girls, to, grow, to be able to grow up in the women's culture, to see powerful women around them, to be in ceremony, to be witnessed when, they, when they're coming of age, to witness women who are being croned, to have these larger, I mean, a lot of these women are doing these rituals in their communities, smaller communities, but to have this larger place where we come together every year. This being our seventh year, we are seeing that. We're seeing younger women coming into, you know, having their children. We're seeing the, the babies who are, you know, or like the young, young girls who are now getting their moon and we're, and we're, they're coming to Red Earth and they're telling us about it. And um, on that thread, actually, uh, my daughter, Hazel, who's going to be 11 this year, last year, she said, oh, I don't want to be with the little kids anymore, you know, in the, in the children's area, which is so fun and amazing to have this at the gathering. So she, along with my dear friend, Kayla, um, who you'll meet, Susan, and when you come this year, um, they started something called the Girls' Grove, and it's a girls' coming-of-age space where, you know, we put, like, makeup in there and, you know, just art supplies and just a, a way for them to be, to, to, you know, to get separate but together still. And um, we're thinking about them doing some kind of a performance this year for everybody, like spending a lot of their time kind of, coming up with something to share with everybody at the end of the gathering. So, Especially awesome. after seeing the teens at the, in Wisconsin perform for us, right? Yeah, well, it was, it was Kayla's idea before I had gone to the Midwest <laughs> idea. Oh, great. Some kind of a theater performance, yeah. And so that was fun that at Midwest how the teens came up and did the um, – yeah, did their performance. It was so wonderful. Yeah, mid, being at being at Midwest, you know, is just such a grounded, lovely time being with you and you too, Sarah Ellen. Hi, and uh, yeah, just feeling Hi, like just connections. Hi, so lovely to meet you finally, and to just be with women on the land and be together. Um, yeah, it was so lovely being there. So, what's different this year? And I know the answer. Thirteen moons. Oh yes, <laughs> it's true. So, um, just as I move around a lot, Red Earth has moved around a lot. Um, you know, still within Colorado, but uh, yeah. So we have. I have always 
paid for a um, collaboration with land that felt really nourishing, that it was more of a partnership and less of rather sort of renting a place and going there, which has always been nice as well, but had, have always kind of envisioned something different. And so I was steered towards this really beautiful piece of land right at the base of Mount Sopris um, with the Crystal River running through, just a very beautiful, um, shining, sparkly river. And the, the woman who her and her family own it is very deeply connected to that place over many generations. And um, she has had similar prayers and callings about having women gather on this land. She does hold different gatherings there and has a lot of smaller community gatherings in her space, but this will be the largest thing she's hosted. And so, yeah, it feels very special to be in a place that's being run by women. And this is the answer also to their prayer and their calling. Um, yeah, just a beautiful collaboration we have going on uh, with the women at 13 Moons. I'm so grateful. And it's, it's, it's not on the front range. The front range of Colorado is, um, it's just busy. You know, it's just a lot going on. So it's on the western slope, west of the Rockies, and just a more quiet um, place. That the front really range nourishing. is the eastern slope, and the western slope is the other side of the Rockies? Yes. The front range is like Denver, Boulder, Fort Collins. Right, and that's the part that faces east. Yes. Exactly. Wow. So the whole other side of the Rockies, the part facing the Pacific. Yeah, it's a different, it's a different region. It's a, different, a very different feeling on the west side of the Rockies. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. We're, we're excited. We're excited to gather the women together and to be together. Like I was sort of saying at the beginning, one of my inspirations for gathering women together is to remember what it's like to be be together as women you know even even so the way I feel it and the way I remember it is that we've always connected as women over our work so I was even talking about this today in the mother's circle that I hold here in my home community we were talking about singing and we were singing songs to babies and it's it's so ancestral to sing with women and to just be doing the daily tasks of life together there's a sort of simplicity and depth and a lot of the teachings that we receive come in these in these moments where we find ourselves just with women and we don't find that as much in our modern day reality and so having specific places that we go and seek out those ancient ways and it, and I feel it whenever I'm with women. So when, I'm at, when I was at Midwest Women's Herbal Gathering or when I'm here in the red tent that we create in this community or in the mother's circle, there's this like undertone pulse that happens when women get together and we understand each other. You know, you say something and the woman in that, that part of the circle shakes her head. You know, it's like we all have this understanding of what it means to be a woman so just even that simple act of being simply with women is one of the most powerful things I think about Red Earth and any any herbal gathering so Red Earth is first for me a women's gathering it's about being with women 
And then the plants are so integral to what we have always done together. We've always been harvesting plants and making remedies and cooking. And so it just goes hand in hand with being with women and then the plant remedies. So all the classes are plant-based also. Lots of learning. You'll be teaching. Yay. And it's certainly one of the things that I have promoted throughout as part of the wise woman tradition is that the wise woman tradition is local. And the wise woman mm-hmm. tradition doesn't look for the hottest herb from the furthest away place, but the wise woman tradition looks down at its feet mm-hmm. as what's growing here and how has it been used and how can I use it and how has it been honored and how can I honor it. And what's it saying to me and what do I have to say to it? Mm-hmm. And to me, these gatherings of women who are herbalists, we say that because today we need to say that, but I don't think that in the past it would have been said. The women simply would, would have gone out and harvested the herbs and made the remedies and dried them and did whatever they... And they would never have even bothered to mention that they were herbalists. They were simply women. Mm. Mm. In Australia, it's part of women's business. And it's not, I'm not saying that men can't work with herbs. I know lots of men who work very successfully and very intuitively and wonderfully well with herbs. What we're talking about is that there's something that's called women's culture. Mm. In the same way that I can play a drum, I can even play a djembe, and yet I in no way am experiencing or will ever experience African culture by doing that. And we're talking about something very unique and very special, which is women's culture and something which is actually legally under threat Mm. right now uh, and for Mm. a while. So much so that um, the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference we were at had to hire a guard um, because the conference had received threats from people who, well, somebody told me, I haven't checked this out yet, but somebody told me, and I do believe it, that a woman um, did a paper for an English class in college and something in the title said biological woman. And the teacher failed her saying there's no such thing. And fortunately, you know, she took it up with the other authorities at college and, (laughs) you know, had that remanded. But, um, you know, she was told that she was offensive to use the word woman Mm. and that she had no right to call herself that. And so it's, I I see a real attack Mm. on women Mm. in the name of of um, caring about everybody. Yeah. And I'm all for caring about everybody. I have no problem at all with caring about everybody. 
and I hear about um, what I call the most interesting people. I've always been fascinated by the most interesting people, you know. Um, or, as, as, you know, as my mother was told, your daughter hangs out with the worst people. Yeah. Well, I was going to say you're probably fascinated by the most interesting people because you're one of the most interesting people. <laughs> it's your it's your people. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and having participated in women's culture, um, I want to. Um, really stand firm for women's culture. I'm glad to see more and more people speaking about their their native and indigenous cultures. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to see, you know, BIPOC, right, mm-hmm. people of color and indigenous people um, having safe spaces. Um, and I want safe spaces for women, too, and you provide that. And I don't know if mm-hmm. you got to hear the very beginning of the show, but I was mm-hmm. talking about how safe I felt at the Midwest Women's Herbal mm-hmm. Conference. If I feel at Red Earth, mm-hmm. and how I don't feel safe at the International Herb Symposium, which is why you and I are going together. <laughs> uh huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So interesting days we live in. Interesting, yes. interesting times to be alive, but aren't they always? Mm-hmm. Well, what what? excites me and what inspires me one of the things to keep doing it year after year is that the women come <laughs> you know women come right <laughs> hundreds of women say i want to use my resources and and t- do what it takes to get myself and my children and my girlfriend and my friend and my sister and my mother and my grandmother I, you know, I mean, it goes like that. You know, one woman comes and then she just gathers all of her people. You need to come with me here. You know, the women come because they feel how important it is to gather. In the same way that I wanted to bring Justine and Monica Jean. Yes, and it was so, so, so wonderful. wonderful to have them there. It I'm always like, is to have, <laughs> to see the generations together and to have that part of our women's community. It's very very special. I think of a Jean Budapest ritual where we go around the circle and say the first name of our mother, and then we go a second time and say our mother's first name and our grandmother's first name, and we keep going around, mm-hmm. adding a generation for as many as we know. Mm-hmm. Yes. So how can people, how can women... Get in touch with Red Earth. Is it redearth.com, .org, Mountain West Women's Herbal Gathering? Where do they go? It's redearthherbalgathering.com. And the website's up. The teachers are on there. Um, We don't have the schedule up yet, but we have all the teachers and all the classes. We have so many fun classes this year. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. Lots of kids' classes. So many fun classes for the children. So many teachers. I was really wowed. Yeah. As instructed, I went and looked to make sure that there weren't typos or problems. And (laughs) while looking at mine, of course, I had to look at some others as well. 
great lineup, wonderful teachers, really a broad spectrum of women in terms of their interests and what they've been focusing on and what they're bringing to this unique community. Mm-hmm. What are some that that really make your heart beat fast? I'm really excited about the frame drum making intensives. I've always wanted to have that at Red Earth, where women could come and then leave with a drum that they've made and that they can bring home and bring the songs that they've learned and just bring the energy of the community with them home. So we have that. And, and then the same teacher is also teaching how to use a bow drill. And we're going to start our fire with um, goddess willing, right? We'll start our fire with the bow drill. Um, oh, goddess <laughs> willing. <laughs> Who's providing the cattail fluff? Well, you know, in Colorado, it's a little bit easier because it's so very dry here. You're right. It is so dry. You're right. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'm really excited. I'm excited for all the classes. There's so many different things from making, you know, make make and take things home to just like your, your class is really, you know, deep, going deep. And that's, that's something else um, that I really love about the container that is Red Earth is that it's almost like a birth. And, of course, I'm a midwife, so I relate everything with birth, and I'm sitting mm-hmm. in front of a tree, and it looks like yonis all over. You know, it's just the way it mm-hmm. is. But it is so much like a birth. Like, women come, and they're excited with all, you know, expectations, what's it going to be like. And as the weekend goes on, you know, you're, like, you're living close to the earth. It's edgy. There's some hard stuff. You're living in a big community, but it's beautiful and amazing and it's inspiring, and you're learning and growing. And then, you know, like, tough stuff comes up as you're moving through different traumas in your life and there's lots of support there you know it's really a ceremonial container and then by the end it's like you've given birth and there's this euphoria after this big ceremony we all do together women's initiation ceremony where every woman steps into the center and claims something for her life witnessed by the other women and so yeah it's um that's i think what makes it unique you know every gathering has its like unique amazing you know, you t- take home, and I'd say the feedback is that it's that ceremonial container that women really um, that, that women really love, and of course, I really love. That's why it's like that. <laughs> have ceremony. I love ceremony. Mm, and so. I and I have such a special thrill to see you and Caitlin and those of you who are really stepping into your power as priestesses. Mm. Very beautiful to be old. Yes, I bet. I know. And we all have so much gratitude for the experience of being under your tutelage to help (laughs) us find who we are and express ourselves in all the beautiful ways we do in the world now. Mm, you so do much it so, so exquisitely well. Mm, oh, okay. Astrid, forever to be continued, but for tonight, <laughs> the time draws nigh. So I want to ask you what you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening. Mm. Well, remember, there's women's community for you. Wherever you live, you can find that. And if you need support in that, I'd be happy to receive your inquiries because there is a link 
there for you in your home community. And if you need support starting something, I'm happy to help you with that as well. There is a place for you in the circle. Uh, we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And I feel the strength that women's community puts into that weaving. We were talking at my menopause workshop about the maidens making the fibers ready, carding them and combing them and dyeing them and spinning them and making them ready. And then the, the, the women in their fertile years sat at the loom and wove. And then the, the women in menopause went into the cave of grandmother growth. And when they emerged after menopause, they came back to the loom and laid the warp fiber, fibers, that which the entire weaving and the pattern of the weaving depends on. And women's community and the women's herbal gathering, Red Earth, the Mountain West women's herbal gathering, is part of the warp of the reweaving of the healing cloak of the ancients. Herbal medicine is people's medicine. You, Astrid Grover, helping me make it so. You, Sarah Ellen, are helping me make it so. You, listeners, you're helping make it so. Love you. Mm. Love you. Blessed be. Blessed be. Green blessings. Good night.